Welcome to BDO in the Boardroom, a podcast series for board of directors and those charged with governance. Each episode features a topical discussion with board peers and subject matter experts on both trending and timeless boardroom issues, covering a myriad of issues including, but not limited to, mitigating risk in the increasingly digital world, navigating your board career, from landing your first board seat to succession planning in support of the next generation, to other top of mind issues such as ESG reporting, shareholder activism, and the insights we share through the BDO Center for Corporate Governance and Financial Reporting. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. Let's get started. Hello, I'm Amy Rojic, Director of BDO Center for Governance, and I'm excited to have the chance to sit down with Patrick Gadsden today to discuss defense strategies for boards and management teams to consider when challenged by activist shareholders. Patrick is a partner with the law firm Vincent and Elkins in New York City and specializes in shareholder activism, M&A transactions, and private equity matters. He's the co-head of V&E's shareholder activism practice, which advises public companies in competitive proxy solicitations, strategic investor relations, and corporate governance. He also counsels senior management, boards of directors, investment managers, and both private equity and strategic investors in a wide variety of complex business transactions, corporate governance matters, strategic investor relations, and other special situations. His experience includes advising clients in connection with shareholder activism-related investments, hostile takeovers, public and private M&A transactions, strategic minority investments, and corporate capital investments. And prior to joining Vincent and Elkins, Patrick practiced law at a leading shareholder activism law firm and a preeminent corporate law firm in New York City. So Patrick, welcome to BDO in the boardroom. Thanks for having me here. Appreciate it. All right. Well, let's level set here. So you have now been on really both sides of shareholder activism. So maybe you can I just... <laughs> now, I, I don't know which is more enviable, but I'll, I'll, let you, I'll, I'll let you say that. So perhaps you can describe the typical setting where you see activist shareholders really focusing their time and attention. Sure, sure. So um, your first sort of pre-question, uh, which side is more fun? Um, I would probably say the shareholder side during a, during a campaign, during a fight, because um, the the expectations of, of what you can or can't say or how colorful or tongue-in-cheek you can be um, in any of your, whether it be filings or the communications, uh, the, the expectations are, are a little lower, right? So you can you can be uh, a little a little bit cute uh, in, in communicating with shareholders and trying to get your, your point across, which, uh, which can be fun at times. Uh, when you are you know, representing you know, a public corp on defense, you have to be a lot more staid and you know very much colored between the lines, and, and you have to be more careful, right? Because the expectations are, are a little bit more rigid. So more fun to represent um, represent a shareholder, but still a lot of fun to represent uh, a corp. But in terms of um, you know the, the sorts of things that we see, right? When when we're looking at uh, a shareholder activism potential situation. Uh, the first thing we focus on, you know, and try to make sure our, our current clients understand is performance, right? So usually um, people think, well, you know, it's it's a total governance issue and it may be a staggered board or there may be all of these sort of, you know, broader uh, ESG type questions around a company uh, that, you know, uh, sort of attracts shareholders when that just really is not the case, right? Um, 
traditionally what you're seeing are uh, companies that have underperformed uh, relative to a well-defined peer set uh, and a shareholder who either is a professional activist, right? This is how they you know, make their bread and butter. They do campaign after campaign after campaign, contest after contest, or a long-term shareholder uh, who you know, thinks that things in the boardroom need to change in order to sort of quote unquote unlock value, right? So performance-based. Um, and when we talk about performance, we're not just talking about you know your TSR, right? We're we're also talking about you know operational performance, margin uh, performance, that kind of stuff, right? So that that's the sort of you know honey to the bear um, aspect of activism. Uh, and after that, uh, you know, when I was on the other side, you know, after this sort of target had been selected for economic reasons and financial reasons, then we would do the screen for okay, well, let's totally unpack its governance. Let's totally unpack. Uh, whether there are any weak points uh, in ESG for this company, uh, so we can then sort of bolt those on to a campaign because you know there's an understanding in the shareholder activism space that the the large stakeholders in the space, whether they be proxy advisors or institutional shareholders, they care very much uh, about ESG. So you can kind of bolt that on and add a, add a cherry to the Sunday of what could be an otherwise already strong campaign. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense to me. And one of the terms you used, and I, and I loved it, and I would love for you to kind of maybe define it a little bit further, is the agitation disinfectant. Could you, yes. you, you share that a little bit? I, I love yes. that phrasing. So. Yes, you are. So in many instances, um, there, you're, you're dealing with you know, a company that maybe just is having a rough patch, right? And so, you know, you the inside board members aren't necessarily thinking that they're in a sort of existential, you know, crisis mode in terms of performance. They're thinking, okay, well, maybe we can just ride this out and, you know, things will turn around. So to the extent that you can, right, directors and members of management need to be thinking about, all right, what are the things that we can get out in front of that we can sort of improve, right? So that if we do get hit, right, uh, with the shareholder activism campaign, um, we aren't, you know, low-hanging fruit, right? And the first step in doing so, you know, people are always thinking, you know, poison pill, or can you, can you, you know, literally stagger your board, or, right? Like the, <laughs> right. the 80s stuff from, from Wall Street, yep. the movie. Um, but you know, those sorts of tactics are are kind of either, you know, no longer illegal in many instances, uh, or they're considered a scorched earth, and they probably will cost you a contest, right? Uh, from from a defense perspective, so. What you can do though is make sure you have a great relationship with your sort of material shareholders. If you can have a great relationship with all of them, that'd be great. But we're talking about you know large public companies with disparate you know shareholder groups, so it can be tough to to you know press the flesh on every shareholder. But large shareholders, specifically institutions, they should know you. They should know you very very well, right? And sometimes. Uh, directors, you know, think, well, I spoke to someone or, or our IR person spoke to someone from, we'll call it, you know, ACME uh, large um, uh, institution, institutional investment uh, fund, right? Well, yes, but did they speak to the portfolio manager or the governance person who will vote in a contest if you are ever in a proxy fight, right? So in many instances, those are separate people, right? And you want to make sure you have tight relationships with both, right? So you don't want to see the portfolio manager uh, of your industry sort of selling down your 
its exposure to you and increasing its exposure to one of your peers because you know that right there is a red flag, right? And can be used against you in a proxy contest. Uh, but you also don't want the person who is the governance person at any of these large institutions to think, okay, well now that there has been uh, you know sort of public education, now for the first time in 10 years, you want to have a conversation with me? Eh, pardon the colloquialism, but that ain't great, right? <laughs> you're not going to get the benefit of doubt there. And you, you know, what we try to remind directors is that when you're dealing with a professional activist, even though you may not be speaking to the governance person at say BlackRock, Vanguard, State Street, et cetera, these are people who are in the business if they're a professional shareholder activism person, right? A hedge fund manager or otherwise, they're speaking to those folks every year, multiple times a year for multiple companies. They have relationships, right? So if they have a relationship and you don't, we're all supposed to think, you know, all things are unbalanced and there's no, you know, sort of relationship or emotional bias, but it can sort of affect how people think, right? And you want that benefit of the doubt. So the best agitation disinfectant is having a strong relationship with, with folks in your shareholder base. After that, then we look at, okay, how can we sort of improve governance and mechanics uh, with your charter or your bylaws uh, or in your internal policies uh, to make sure you're on the cutting edge of corporate governance, right? Uh, and then we also take a sort of 360 view in terms of ESG as well, right? We want to make sure you're on the cutting edge there too, so you don't face any undue criticism. Um, but none of that can overcome having a loose or non-existent relationship with your material shareholders uh, and or poor performance, right? So Great performance, which is easy to say, right? Uh, but uh, having a great relationship with your large material shareholders can go a long way because if you do face uh, a fight, you will be you know, speaking to someone who understands the company very well because you've taken the time to articulate the strengths and weaknesses of the company over a long period of time and you've really sewn together that relationship. And that only can sort of accrue dividends for you in the future if you actually face a campaign. Yeah, no, that, that, that makes a ton of sense. And I think that's you know similar to how you described it earlier. You, your company may not be in crisis, but if you think about that relationship from from a crisis standpoint, any right. anyone knows that when you're in a crisis, you want to know who's on speed dial. You want to know that attorney you're right. going to call, the the right. regulators you're going to call, the authorities. You want to know who in the company is going to be doing that discussion. So maybe we talk a little bit about some of the more finite or some of the more detailed, I should say, rules of engagement when you're engaging with activists. So how would you how would you handle that? I mean, understanding who you're up against and, and what their concerns are, obviously, is number one. But sometimes that re information may may not always be available or it may be kind of coming in from one angle, but there's something behind it that you may not have that insight towards. So how, how do you engage mm -hmm. in those scenarios? Right. So. The first sort of bucket is we'll call um, the perspective, right? And making sure that um, that the the inside folks at the at the company have the proper perspective to understand a shareholder activist, right? The second bucket is actually how to how do you communicate with uh, a fund that has a history of activism, right? So from a perspective standpoint, that can sometimes actually be. Uh, probably the most tricky lock uh, to pick, right? Because, you know, the majority of my clients, if not all of my clients that are board members, these are people who 
have amazing CVs, right? And these are like rock stars, right? And, you know, straight A's since first grade type people, right? They've never been subject to public criticism. They right. may have never really been subject to harsh criticism, whether it be private or, or public, right? And so there is a tendency sometimes um, when, you, when you have that sort of criticism for the first time to get defensive, to batten down the hatches, to refuse to sort of listen, right? And to not have the same sort of objective uh, viewpoint, you know, that an outside shareholder would have, right? So the first thing we try to do, right, when we, when we go into a boardroom is try to you know, knock away, you know, those scales from their eyes and get them to understand, look, this is how you're viewed from the shareholder perspective. Someone who does not know you, someone who's a professional in, in, in running campaigns like this, someone who may not have a great deal of respect for board members in general, right? Someone who has a very high opinion of themselves and their own personal IQ, right? Um, so, you know, let's take a look at the company from that perspective, right, objectively. Right, and try to get uh, board members to be critical. So what we do is we come in there, uh, we kind of you know seal team six it, right? We we jump out of the heli uh, helicopter with our parachutes and we go in there, and we dig down deep inside of a company, uh, and prepare them for the you know the worst possible scenarios in terms of them getting hit with an activism campaign. Um, the first thing we do is you know unpack all of the potential weaknesses and strengths that they may have, right? And and get their sort of mindset around, okay, we're gonna be in a fight. You know, we don't want to eventually wear down just because we, you know, have been in a fight for a while, right? Uh, and, you know, we don't want proxy, you know, fight fatigue to set in prematurely or, or at all if we can avoid it, right? So we try to prepare board members for sort of the duration and the long-term, uh, you know, trench tactics that that can be what is you know a shareholder activism campaign right because you know that's the, the mindset right and the you know emotional wherewithal uh to to endure a campaign those are the things that can make or break a campaign sort of fundamentally right mm -hmm. um many times we see you know board members who at the beginning it's oh this guy doesn't know what he's talking about and he'll he'll get it once we have a conversation with him. It's always a him, right? Uh, and, um, you know, uh, once he gets it, he'll go away and blah, blah, blah. Very, very confident. I have yet to have a board member that wasn't that extraordinarily confident at the beginning of a campaign. But eight months in, nine months in, 14 months in, it becomes, oh, what do we have to do to get this guy to go away? I mean, what do we have to give him? What do we have, what do we have to give this guy? Right. Um, right. And we don't want you to be there, right? Because if you get there, then you're in a circumstance in which you might enter into a, you know, a bad settlement. You might be willing to agree to terms that, um, you know, but for the proxy fight fatigue, you you would never, you know, see the company enter, enter into. And then you have to think about that from a shareholder's perspective, right? Uh, there have been campaigns in which settlements uh, have uh, sparked pretty strong pushback. From shareholders, right? From from New York uh, City pension funds, right? That say, whoa, whoa, whoa! Why did you enter into this settlement with Elliot? Why, why did you do that? These terms are pretty bad. Why did right? So, you know, you want to avoid that, and it can be hard, uh, just because of sort of the dynamics and the emotional toll it can take on on board members. And board members don't understand that 
it's not a balanced and equal field in terms of give and take when it comes to public criticism, right? So this is the first time that a board member may have been through this, but these shareholder activists, they've seen it all. They've been called all the names. (laughs) They've they've been dragged underneath the mud that's underneath the mud, right? So (laughs) they are totally war uh, war ready and have extraordinarily thick calloused skin and it, the the public nature of a campaign and, and, and criticism does not affect them nearly as much as a director who's experiencing it for the first time. So that's the, the long-winded version of that. The, the second part is how do you how do you sort of interact with a shareholder, especially a shareholder activist that has a long history of activism? Um, the first thing you know we try to tell folks is look, these people before they contact you, they have done a deep dive into your company. They understand your company probably far more than maybe some you know, new board members may understand your company. They get it on a cellular level in terms of public disclosure, right? They've run their models. They've you know, overheated their Bloomberg terminals, right? They've read through all the 10Ks and the 14As and all the proxies and all um, And they know the footnotes, they get it. So when they're speaking to you, they're not just trying to get information out of you. They're trying to get tone culture, uh, little tidbits that, 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 you know, could show them, okay, so if we press this company, what, what could we really expect to get based on the culture, right? I, I always like to use the example of, you know, Apple really didn't see a shareholder activist until after Steve Jobs passed, right? Um, because, you know, in my opinion, a lot of folks I speak to in this space, you know, there was this thinking that Steve Jobs cannot be bullied. Regardless, it wasn't about the corporate governance mechanics. It wasn't about the performance or whether or not Apple had enough cash on hand to, you know, fund a small company or fund a small country. Excuse me. It was more about, yeah, that guy can't be bullied. It won't. It doesn't matter what we say about him, right? But after he passes, then you start to see shareholders, activists into the space and ask for, you know, a larger shareholder repurchase campaign, et cetera, et cetera right? Yep. So we try to we try to you know get directors to wrap their minds around all of that. No, that, that makes a ton of sense. So so from that, we talked about attributes, we talked about engagement. So in addition to the things you mentioned, um, one of the things that I, I think, you know, we often we, we often find people is like, okay, so you're being approached by an activist. Let's let's scenario plan, right? You have to have kind of the all the points lined up in front of you to the extent that you've done as much due diligence as you can and you've hired firms like yours to go in and really you know, kick the tires and figure out where the pain points could be and what could be developed. Can you tell me a little bit about scenario planning? And and I know we we want to we want to leave the emotion out of it. So maybe you can give some some thoughts there. Right. So the first thing we we want companies to understand is you control the timeline, right? So you control when the annual meeting. Right. You control when your proxy statement goes out and a lot of the information, even the activists will need for his his you know, campaign, you know, will be included in that. And you have to use that timeline to your advantage. Right. So, you know, have to understand, OK, when can we receive nominations? Right. Um, is it possible for us to get as much, you know, uh, notice about you know, potentially receiving nominations as possible, right? So we want to make sure that to the extent we know, we can know a year before the, the, the annual meeting that a particular shareholder activist 
intends on submitting uh, nominations, we want to know at that point, right? Uh, so we try to make sure that during you know peacetime, as we refer to it, right? When you when you have a clear day, um, that your bylaws uh, allow uh, the directors to receive a lot of notice before uh, you actually have to see someone at an annual meeting, right? So we want to make sure that you know we've to the extent we can um, made made the bylaws sort of cutting edge in terms of advance notice, right? Uh, mm-hmm. The second thing we do uh, is we we take a look at the board from a very objective perspective, right? We look at the average tenure of, of the board, right? So, you know, if the average tenure of the board is 15 years, 16 years, and you see that in a lot of commodities companies, a lot of heavy industrial companies, um, you can understand, you know, pretty early, okay, well, if we ever have a bump, the first thing they're going to ding us on is, sh- is a director refreshment, right? And the shareholder is going to say, look, why do you have, you know, directors who've been on the board for 20 years, right? Now they have low-hanging fruit, right? And we, we make sure we counsel companies to understand the sort of infective nature, right, of a shareholder activism campaign in our early preparation, right? So, it's not just that you have a long person on the board, a long tenured person on the board. It's that that person continually gets nominated by folks in the nominee gov committee, and now they are infected by that decision, quote unquote. And now the shareholder activist may have a campaign that he can leverage to not only remove that potentially long-term uh, serving tenured director, but also the folks who continue to nominate that director year after year, even if those folks have only been on, you know, five or six years, right? Uh, because that argument sort of can be, you know, can be uh, infectious. Um, so outside of that, uh, we we do try to make sure that directors are, to the extent they can, actually pressing the flesh, right? And actually on calls and not just sort of delegating that to IR, right? And because we want, you know, directors to have that sort of interpersonal dynamic where they can rely on people uh, to potentially vote for them if, if it comes to it, right? So. You know, those are the those are the basics. I don't want to, you know, dig down too deeply into the minutia of the terms that we use when we're, you know, drafting <laughs> all these things, right? Um, but you know, those are the things we we try to get in front of, um, along with ESG. ESG is a very hot thing, right? Um, and that's not just because of a very recent campaign that that sort of, you know, became a, a zeitgeist moment for ESG. Uh, it's it's a, a large you know, macro cultural shift that we're experiencing and companies and corporations are just inside of society like the rest of us, right? So we we, we make sure that directors are, are cognizant of that because you could have a great board, but if that board is not gender or ethnically diverse, uh, you, could be, you could be more vulnerable to a campaign from a shareholder activist that's able to find a slate of rock star, um, uh, diverse, uh, candidates to to contest you at an annual meeting, right? So those are the sort of makes a lot of sense. So how about in our in our closing moments here? I wanted to get a little bit of maybe it's a little bit of a crystal ball and put it in your hands in terms of some of the things that may be coming up for this coming proxy season, areas of focus type and size of companies that mm-hmm. may be targeted? Just to get your thoughts, I'd, I'd love to hear your perspective on that. Sure. Um, so 
I think from a from a big picture perspective, each year you tend to see a wave of activism in in separate we call it industries. So the REACH sector will have its moment, and then the you know the fast casual uh, sector will have its moment, and on and on. And so you know we're likely to see you know multiple campaigns in a space. It's a little early to, to tell which space that will be next year, but you know once you start to see a couple, um, you know okay it's probably going to be. Uh, and, you know, the, the second thing is, uh, I think the S in ESG is going to become increasingly important, right? Uh, anecdotally, for example, uh, you know, have a contest that, that, we are, uh, that we are active in, in terms of you know, representing one of the parties. Um, and in that contest, it, it will, it, the shareholder uncovered tweets that were made by a director um, that, in my opinion, based on what I saw 20 years ago, 15 years ago, th- these have been sort of off-the-cuff statements that were made. Maybe this person gets away with it and doesn't have to resign. But, you know, this is not 20 years ago. And that director had, had to resign, right? And so the, the sort of cultural aspects of the, of the S, that's going to be a pretty, you know, strong uh, bellwether of of many campaigns to come. And I think that's probably the, the biggest takeaway in terms of trends. No, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I, I carry those sentiments and see a lot of, not just on the shareholder activism side, but obviously a lot of interest on just kind of all, all the things that go under the S, whether that's in, in management of people within your company, mm-hmm. leadership, governance, all of the things that kind of I would say the softer skills, if you will, but the the mm-hmm. critical aspects of, of how a company's culture is developed and, and run. So I agree with that wholeheartedly. Well, actually, Patrick, it's been lovely speaking to you today and getting your thoughts. Same. I'll invite you Same. back for, for some more fun and adventures. <laughs> um, but any closing you. thoughts you have, I'll give you the last word before we wrap. Sure. Uh, closing thought would be if you um, are... A, a, a member of a border management and you have had middling performance and you think, well, we are performing terribly, uh, that no longer will inoculate you, um, especially if you have poor scores on ESG, right? And so if you see a separate company in your industry, in your sector, get hit with a campaign, please be aware that you know, other shareholders are paying attention to that space once an activist enters it publicly and are now looking for other targets. So, you know, let let other companies that that actually have to deal with the people like me every day in a, in a campaign, let them be the canary in the coal mine. Um, <laughs> and, you know, once you see it happen, be very proactive in terms of uh, making sure you're prepared for it to happen to you. Amen. All right. Well, thank you very much. And thank you to our listeners. And stay tuned for more episodes of BDO in the Boardroom. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to BDO in the Boardroom. Past episodes and related insights are available at bdo.com slash BDO Boardroom. Or you can go to iTunes or Spotify to rate, review, and subscribe. The views expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of BDO. For more information on the BDO Center for Corporate Governance and Financial Reporting and the resources we provide, visit bdo.com slash BDO Knows Governance.